Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. This morning we'll be in Mark chapter 8, verses 10 to 26. Mark chapter 8, verses 10 to 26. And with the word open before us, let us go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise to you. Lord, we give thanks and praise that you have given us your word, that we are able to see your promises. Lord, that they give us hope during hard times. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that they light our path. And we pray that you would do a mighty work through the Holy Spirit this morning in our hearts, that we would be able to see, that our eyes would be able to open, be opened, that we would be able to give thanks and praise to you creator of all things, and the one who has saved us from our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Mark chapter 8, verses 10 to 26. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. He cautioned them saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you do not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven, for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Seven. He said to them, Do you not yet understand? They came to Bethsaida. The people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. When he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, He asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. He opened his eyes and his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Seeing is believing. That's what the uh, mantra, the saying, the proverb says. The only true way someone is able to truly believe is to see with their own eyes. However, we know this somewhat to be false. And I can really play tricks on the brain. Optical illusions. Twist and distort. You see a man pull a bunny out of a hat, 
an empty hat, then it doesn't mean that bunny appeared out of nowhere. It doesn't mean then you say that I'm a believer of the invisible bunny. But all things at some point require some aspect and element of faith. Proverbs seen as believing requires faith in your eyesight to be able to truly uh, reflect what is around you. In today's passage, we see three groups of people, three little sections of people who are blind in some way or another. And in this passage, we see these Glorious, how Mark gloriously reflects as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit these parallels with these, the Pharisees, the disciples, this blind man to be able to heal him. They're all blind in different ways. We'll see as we go through. The first we see is the sign seeking Pharisees in verses 10 to 13. Sign seeking Pharisees. And the Pharisees come up again to Jesus and begin arguing with Jesus. They come seeking a sign from heaven. Come demanding a sign that they might be able to see. Almost like Jesus is a magician. Mark explains why they actually came to seek a sign. Mark explains that they came seeking a sign that they might test him. This word test is used in all of the four Gospels and is used in negatively. Not just, you know, to ask questions inquisitively to try and find out. The test is, is more to be able to set a trap that their answer will be used against the person who they ask, who they test. They don't care about the answer. They care about using the answer against Jesus, against Him. We know this throughout Mark. We're told right from the beginning, Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that the Pharisees, Herodians, sought that they might be able to destroy Jesus. Right from the start, we've seen this tension with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees coming now to seek a sign from Jesus from heaven, that they might be able to test Him, so that they would be able to destroy Him is used once before in the Gospel of Mark when Satan comes and tests Jesus. Now we see the connection not only just between Satan testing Jesus, but now the Pharisees coming to test Jesus. Opposed to Jesus. This is important when we look at their blindness compared to the other two groups of people. Get to that. The Pharisees are coming to Christ. They've already made up their mind about who Christ is. They've already set their minds against Him, ready to destroy Him. Christ is no one who can answer their questions correctly. They, to Christ, Christ to them is their enemy. And their enemy that needs to be destroyed. And they come up asking for this sign from heaven. In the Old Testament, even we've pointed this out in the Gospel of Mark, the signs accompany the Word of God. The signs come given by prophets and other 
areas in the Old Testament be able to accompany the Word of God, to prove the Word of God. If you doubted the Word of God, then the sign was to prove that it was actually God's Word. Moses was told that he would go and speak for God. In Exodus 4, it explains that he'll go and speak with God, and God will enable these signs to be able to attest that this is God's Word in Exodus 4. But we are warned in Deuteronomy chapter 13, in the first five verses, that a sign doesn't then extensively prove that this is the Word of God. We're told that a prophet comes and performs this sign, and this sign is then a testament to the Word. But if the Word says that you are to leave the one true God and worship other gods, then that's not the sign doesn't validate the Word because the Word is not God's. You need to be cautious about how you see signs. But the purpose of the sign is to point to God's Word so that they would listen to God's Word. Deuteronomy 18.15, when Moses is talking about this prophet to come, God tells the people that He will send a prophet who is Jesus. But the important part of this prophet is that you need to listen. The Pharisees sought a sign not to be able to test if the word is true, they sought a sign to be able to entrap him, to ensnare him. They didn't care about what Jesus said. They didn't care about listening to Jesus. But to accuse him, to accuse him falsely. Jesus is there and he knows the hearts of the Pharisees. The Bible says that he sighed deeply. Have you ever had one of those moments where you sigh deeply? It's not just a sigh, but quite an audible sigh that almost everyone can hear. Just a, maybe a bit of a side track at General Assembly this year. The moderator was uh, Roy Taylor, very knowledgeable in parliamentary parliamentarian procedure in the book of church order and occasionally someone would ask a question or make a motion and I could almost immediately tell if it was a good motion because if it was a bad motion Roy Taylor would let out a sigh an audible sigh someone would make a motion to be able to speed up the process and Roy Taylor knows that this is not going to speed up the process he would let out a sign. Here, Jesus lets out a sign. Come asking a sign. This sigh. He's confronted with their unfaithfulness, their unbelief. And Christ sighs. They're completely blind to who he is. And he's their enemy in their eyes. Pharisees are like the unbelieving people in the wilderness who saw great signs. They saw the ten plagues. They woke up the morning after Passover when the 
the angel of death had passed over and their children were alive, they were freed, rescued, delivered, they'd walked across the dry land over the Red Sea. The Lord had provided manna for them from heaven. Every single day they're seeing a sign, but yet they still did not believe. The Pharisees. Seeing God's wonders, His grace. They've read about it in the Old Testament. They've read about the Messiah to come. And here He stands before them and they want to seek a sign to be able to ensnare Him. And Jesus explains that this generation will not see a sign. And He abruptly leaves. And we've looked at Christ's patience and His compassion with His disciples. Time and time again, how He is patient and compassionate with the crowds. Yet here, there's a reality that the patience is now gone. Pharisees, blind hearts. Jesus walks away. That's the sad reality. That some people, if not many people, will come and ask questions of faith, of, of God, of the Bible. But they're not asking a question to be able to understand. They're asking a question to be able to entrap, to ensnare. They spend their lives looking but never finding. They wander in this world lost. They've learned some Bible verses to be able to attack Christians. They don't truly understand the Bible to be able to understand God who's revealed in the Scriptures. They will when Christ returns. Those who come like the Pharisees make those stumble and fall, will be held accountable. But this is why we preach Christ and Christ crucified. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we have preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We preach Christ And some people will stumble. Some people will fall. Some people 
will seek signs. Some people will seek wisdoms, but we don't do signs and wisdom. We do the foolishness of God's gospel, which is Christ crucified. The Pharisees didn't understand how you could be saved through Christ because they didn't need Christ. They were blind to their own sin and therefore blind to their need for Jesus. The second group of people we see in this text are the weak disciples in verses 14 to 21. And the disciples hop in the boat and they go to the other side and they just start, discard, start discussing that they forgot to bring bread. Now you think of the cycle, I thought you had some. I, I thought Peter brought some. Why didn't you grab some? They only had one loaf between them. And Jesus chimes in in this conversation and He says, them this very important lesson. Watch out. Beware. Now these are big letters. They're the same size letters in your Bible, but watch out. Beware. Not just merely watch out, not just beware, but both of them together. The big sign, watch out. No trespassing. That means no trespassing. Watch out. You listen to what he is about to say. We do this in our house all the time. We have levels of warnings in our house. Well, don't do that. You're going to hurt your sister. Don't do that. You'll fall off and knock your head. You're kind of little things that they might, you know, lead to a slight injury. But if we were to walk in, this hasn't happened. We'll walk in and one of our children has a knife and electrical socket. We wouldn't merely just, uh, I wouldn't do that. That's unwise. Watch out! Don't do that! And this is what Christ does in amongst this conversation. Watch out, beware. And here, He says, stop what you're doing and listen. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, leaven is used throughout the New Testament and often is used very negatively. Jesus does use it in positive instances, Matthew 13, Luke 13. But first, before we need to look at what the leaven of the Pharisees is, we need to understand what leaven is. Leaven was basically a piece of fermented dough that they would keep from the last time that they cooked. They would keep this and they'd use it a small amount, dissolve it in their water, they put it in their bread, and the bread would then rise. But even just the smallest amount of leaven in bread was able to make a whole loaf be able to rise. So this small amount does a great amount of damage. Small amount in has a great impact on the whole loaf. But specifically, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? Now, some have suggested it's just what we read before, demanding a sign. Matthew kind of explains that the leaven of the Pharisees is their teaching. Luke kind of describes it as their, their hypocrisy. Don't let the leaven of their, their hypocrisy listen. 
Mark doesn't tell us specifically what he means when he's quoting this passage. He doesn't say what the leaven of Pharisees is, what the leaven of Herod is. I think it could be a combination of all the above. That they're seeking a sign. They're, They're teaching. And also their hypocrisy. They're all interwoven. But underlying all this, I think what if I was to put it into one word, I would say it's their unbelief. Their unbelief, their unwillingness to be able to see. Now Jesus has just told them, watch out, beware. And what do they do? Turn back to their conversation about who brought the bread or didn't bring the bread. They talk about how little bread they have. didn't stop. They didn't listen. Jesus asked them a question. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? But That's a real valid question, but He doesn't stop there. He goes and asks more questions. Hard-hitting heart questions. Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but do not see? Having ears, do you do not hear? And do you not remember? Tough questions are sometimes tough because you have no idea what the answer is. We get them all the time in our house. We're very grateful for Google. But sometimes tough questions are very difficult because you know exactly what the answer is. And the answer brings the reality, yes, I don't understand. Yes, my heart is hard. The disciples, they're the closest to Jesus. They've been with Him from basically the beginning of His ministry. And yet they still do not understand or do not perceive. This takes us back right to Mark chapter 4 when Jesus is teaching about the parables. He explains that He speaks in parables that people would hear but not understand. See but not perceive. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And here... The outside-inside circle comes up again. Those who are inside actually are not inside. They're not understanding who Christ is. They don't fathom. Jeremiah 5.21, it's a passage speaking of the judgment of Judah. Jeremiah writes this, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears But hear not. Two verses later, Jeremiah explains that the people of Israel have stubborn and rebellious hearts. Which echoes in Ezekiel chapter 12. The disciples at this point who have been close to Jesus still have hard hearts. They do not understand who Jesus is. We've known this. They've asked that question before. Who is this who calms the winds and the seas? Even throughout this time, we're halfway through the book of Mark and they still don't quite understand who Christ is. 
Pharisees are blind and they don't know who Jesus is, don't care who Jesus is. The disciples are blind. One commentator succinctly summarizes this problem that faces the disciples. The disciples mirror humanity at large, which is so stuck in its own world and cares that it is blind and deaf to God. The disciples are anxious about the lack of bread, but Jesus is anxious about their lack of faith. The disciples are discussing how much bread they have. They don't realize that they have the bread of life right there with them. Syrophoenician women understand that just a small portion, just a crumb from the table was enough to satisfy her. Disciples are oblivious. The last question Jesus asks is, do you not remember? Now we see Jesus reminding them what they had forgotten. In the eyes, right before their eyes, they had Christ. The one who had taken five loaves and fed 5,000 people with 12 baskets left over. They didn't. They were blind to the fact that Jesus was the good shepherd promised in Ezekiel 34. Before their eyes, they had Jesus who took the seven loaves, fed 4,000 with seven baskets left over. They failed to understand the promise given to Abraham that through Abraham all the nations would be blessed, which is found in Jesus. They have Jesus, the bread of life, who is standing right before them, who promises that I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They're worried about how many loaves they have. Do you not understand? I think R.C. Sproul shows something in this passage. Just a simple word. It gives us hope that the disciples will understand one day. That word is yet. Do you not yet understand? Unlike the Pharisees, the Pharisees are blind and they don't want to know and they won't find out who Jesus is. But yet the disciples are blind to Jesus. But they will understand who Jesus is one day. What a great comfort that is to us. You know, people that we are praying, that their hearts would be regenerated. They would turn and see their sin and their need for Christ and Christ as their Savior as their hearts are awoken. They would see Christ as their Savior. They don't understand We pray that that day would come. It would be like the disciples who one day will see, will proclaim, who will understand. And this leads us to the final person, the blind man who sees. In verses 22-26. to And Mark tells his story of this blind man who comes to Jesus to be healed. This is a place right in this position in Mark, it, it, it's used of the, 
the deaf man who has a speech impediment in chapters 7, verse 31. speaks here in mirrors and frames this whole section, this sandwich that Mark likes to do. And here at the end we see this deaf blind man who is able to see. These two stories have very similar format how they're laid out. Jesus comes to an area. The crowd brings a man to heal Jesus to Jesus to heal him. He takes him away from the crowd. He heals the man. He gives him instruction. And here, the only difference is before this man was uh, deaf and unable to speak, and now this man is unable to see. And just like the deaf man and this blind man in Mark chapter 8, they only appear in Mark's Gospel. And we remember Peter in his telling Mark what he had seen as eyewitnesses of the account. But these are significant to Peter because Peter is looking at discipleship. So this man comes, and Peter is like, we were like that deaf man with a speech impediment. We couldn't hear we are like the blind man that couldn't see. This is this essential theme which flows through this passage of seeing this sign. The disciples not even being able to see. And even in this small, significant, in this small passage, there's eight different Greek words which are used for eyesight, for seeing. The disciples are like the blind man who is unable to see who Christ is. So Jesus takes this man outside of the village. He spits on his eyes. He lays his hands on him. Again, we could go into a little bit more about the spitting, the, the laying the hands on. For the sake of time, we'll move to the next part. But this question Jesus asks of this man, do you see anything? Now, this is the first time Jesus has asked a question about a man and his healing. He tells the paralytic to take up his mat and walk, a definitive statement to prove what has happened. He tells the, the, uh, the, man, the deaf man for his ears to be opened. He doesn't then ask, well, how do you hear anything? That would be a silly question to ask. But he says here, what do you see? This is the only time in the Bible that we see Jesus ask a question. It's not because Jesus woke up that day and his powers weren't as strong. He didn't pray exactly the right prayer. It's exactly, Jesus did this deliberately to show this is what the disciples are like. They're starting to see, but they're not quite able to understand quite yet who Jesus is. This man looks around and he sees men who are like trees, ants in the Lord of the Rings. This is that example of that word yet. They don't understand yet. The disciples are starting to see, beginning to see. The only way they are able to see is going to be through Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can open their eyes and ears to be able to hear. 
Have you ever wondered, as you pray for a person, that they might one day love Jesus? And you look at their life, and you feel like your prayers are just unheard. You think, that person will never understand. And you pray, and you pray earnestly. But it seems like they continually walk down the path where they reject Jesus. We need to be reminded of passages like this. The disciples even walked with Jesus, had Him before them, feeding thousands of people with a few pieces of bread, raising a paralytic, healing a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, hearing His sermons, and yet they didn't understand. One day, these disciples' ears and eyes are going to be opened. And they will see who Christ truly is. Many people have said the same about John Newton. The author of Amazing Grace. The thing about John Newton is that Sure, people looked at him and said, he is unsavable. See what he does to these people? His job is to travel across the seas. Take people. Imprison them. Force them on a boat. Image bearers of God. To drag them across the sea again. Many people cramped in a spot, people dying from diseases, and then to sell them on the other side. He is unsavable. Yet. He didn't understand yet. There's one day where his eyes were opened, one day where he saw that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Don't give up on that person you're praying for. Because God hasn't given up. Continue to pray for them. Maybe you are that person who doesn't quite understand who Jesus is. Don't stop asking questions. Don't ask questions to be proven right or wrong. Ask questions to understand. Maybe you think that you're not good enough. Don't give up on Jesus yet. Even if you are the blind man who has been dragged by your friends, do not give up. In all of this, I just pray that You're not like the Pharisees who come constantly asking questions but never wanting any understanding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise to You that You are the One who does open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, who does change our hard hearts into soft beating hearts. And we pray 
that we would not be like the Pharisees. We would be like the disciples whose eyes will be open, like the blind man who is able to see. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see You in all of Your glory and all of Your splendor. Help us to be kind and compassionate to those around us. We might be able to encourage them to see the true Jesus. They might be able to see His glory, His splendor, His grace, His mercy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.